Nathan, another great job, great selections, and wonderfully led. Boy, I tell you what, there is so much for us to be excited about, grateful for, and, um, and pumped up as we come into worship together today. And the, the men that have led our minds and hearts in worship today have done an excellent job. Prayers and time around the table, the songs of praise that we've held up, and it is a blessing, a blessing to be here. This morning, if you haven't asked the opportunity to do so yet and would like to participate with us as we go through our, our slides this morning, you can take a shot of this. Uh, QR code that's behind me there, and uh, as you're doing that, I invite you to open up to our text for today. Our text is in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be starting in verse 22. If you're going to grab your Bible there from the pew back in front of you and uh, be turning to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be uh, there in just one moment. You know, in the last couple of weeks, there's been something that has been weighing heavy on um, our family's hearts, and um, I'm not going to say any names or any details, but but the situation is this, there's a young lady that's uh, been very close to our family for many, many years. In fact, she came up through our campus ministry program that we used to work at at Ohio State. Um, she met a fine young man. In fact, my wife takes credit for these two getting together in the first place. And, uh, and they, they were married um, right after graduating college. I got to perform their wedding. I got to be there in their premarital counseling time. I got to be there when their children were born, and, and I got to be a part of their family at every phase and every stage. Wonderful young Christian family. Just a beautiful family with so many blessings and, and promise and opportunity and great things on the horizon. It wasn't too long ago she called me and she shared with me that she'd been diagnosed with a very, very aggressive form of cancer. And I was devastated. I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember exactly what I went through, the feelings I had at that moment. And I, I was sitting out on our enclosed porch and I had to sit down on the, on the little stool there. And I said, I said, oh my goodness, how are you doing? She said, you know what, Jeff, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. And I said, how can you be doing really well? She went on to explain to me that when she first heard the news, it was really devastating to her. It was very hard. It really hit her like a ton of bricks, as it would any, any one of us. She went on and she said, you know, immediately the first thing that came to mind to me is that I've been, I've been spending all my life growing up learning about God, reading His Word, and, and building a trust in Him. And here it came, the time in my life when I needed that, and it was there for me. She said, it's been amazing to me over the course of the last couple of days, and now it's been many months, but over the course of this whole procedure, she shared with me how many times there have been scriptures that have come to her mind, verses that she didn't even know that she knew, but she knew them, and they were there, and they were ready, and they were providing her a, a comfort and a strength. She talked about her journaling and how she would sit down and she would write about all the blessings that God's given her in her life. She would sit down and she would write about all the, the, the opportunities that God has put before her. She would write about all the times that God's got her through hard times in the past. All the ways that God has met all the, the need that she's ever had. She spends time in her journal writing about all the promises that God has made in His Word. And how those promises give her strength day by day by day. You know, she's by no means out of the woods, but every single phase that she's been through, she's been through several rounds of chemo now, she's getting ready for a surgery that's coming up, and the doctors are amazed, astounded. They said that she's finding, their, their prog progress that they're seeing in her is unprecedented. She said, I'm not surprised. God's always been there for me. And God's going to continue to be there for me now. She's got a long road ahead of her. She's got at least another year ahead of her before it's all going to be in the rearview mirror. But to, to see her strength, and to see the way that she's able to manage what I call a storm of life is something that is truly, well, it's inspirational. 
It's encouraging to me, and it really has given me a beautiful, uh, better understanding of how it is that God provides for his people. The reason I'm bringing all that up this morning is because that fits in so nicely with the story we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at a story of what happens when we face the storms of life. Because can I share with you that the reality is you're either in a storm right now, you just came out of a storm, or there's one on the horizon. And I don't say that to be ominous, I say that to be realistic. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. You remember how he finished that? Fear not. I've overcome the world. Matthew chapter 14. Before we read this, it's important for us to get this in context. If you haven't been with us, let me real quickly catch you up to state, debate, catch you up to date. Wow. English, try it. Um, we've been working through a series of lessons entitled The Life of Christ, and we're looking at a chronological uh, accounting of some of the stories in the life of Jesus and what the practical applications of those stories are for us. Here in chapter 14, it opens, you may remember from two weeks ago, this, this, this chapter opens with Jesus getting the devastating, terrible, horrifying news that his cousin, his best friend, his co-worker in the ministry, John the Baptist, has been brutally executed in an unfair trial by, King, um, by Herod. Jesus is devastated by this news. This is tragic news, but he doesn't get time to grieve. He doesn't get time to, to mourn. He doesn't get time to get away by himself and process because the throngs of crowds have, have swallowed him up and pressed in upon him. And you'll remember from last week, these crowds came and it said he was moved with compassion when he saw the crowds of people. And the crowds of people that were there all around him, they, they, he ministered to them all day. And into the evening he realized they were hungry. And so using just that small little boy's lunch that we studied last week, he was able to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It is on the tail end of that that we read ourselves in verse 22 immediately. He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught hold of him and said, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, truly you are. The Son of God. This morning, the focus of our lesson is really going to be on just mere seconds in this story. What I would guess to be mere seconds. We don't know exactly how long this occurred, but, but what I would guess to be just nothing more than mere seconds. From the moment that Peter stepped out of the boat until the moment that Jesus grabbed his hand in his, well, he was sinking in his doubt. In just those few brief seconds that take place there, I'd like for us to look at some ways that we can understand some applications of how you and I can face the storms in our life. How you and I can face the challenges that come before us. Because here, Peter's life, Peter's moment, this example gives us a really great picture of how we can learn some lessons 
to deal with the difficulties that we come across in our life. The two images that we're going to be looking at is this, and it's a question of focus. It's really a question of focus, and it's a question of what are we going to be focusing on? What are we going to be focusing on? Because there's two things that Peter can focus on. The first thing he can focus on is he can focus on the storm. He can focus on the wind. He can focus on the waves. Because in that we have fear and distraction. But his second choice is he can choose to focus on Jesus. He can choose to lift his eyes up and he can choose to focus on Jesus as deliverer and savior. Now here's something that I think you'll know and understand. It's really hard to focus on more than one thing at one time. I know in our world today of craze of, of multitasking, the reality of multitasking is, well, it's, it's not quite as effective as probably we once thought it was. But you can't really focus on two things simultaneously. It's really difficult to do so. I had an example of that just this morning. I told you that when I was driving in, it was dark, and the rain was coming down in buckets. I stopped at the um, stoplight up here. Of course I stopped at the stoplight. It's Marysville, and I have stopped at the stoplight. And because every stoplight is against me in Marysville, I don't understand what the deal is. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. There's nobody here, and I stop at a stoplight. But I'm stopped at the stoplight, and I, and I look through. I turn the windshield wipers off for a second, and I look through my windshield, and I notice something really neat because the, 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 the rain droplets are all there you know, on the windshield. And I can draw my attention in and focus on the raindrops. But the light in the background, the stoplight, so out of focus, I don't even know what color it is anymore. And then I can turn my focus outward and I can see that stoplight so clearly. And that raindrop-soaked windshield just completely disappeared. I didn't even see it there. And back and forth I went and then the guy behind me beeped and I was like, oh, right, I got I to gotta turn my windshield wipers on and get started again. But that was a really interesting image to me right there because that right there in that moment was exactly what we're talking about. I could not simultaneously focus on the light and the droplets. I had to make a decision. Am I going to purposefully, intentionally draw my attention to the windshield with the rain droplets or am I going to turn my attention purposefully to the stoplight ahead? And you know, that's really what Peter has to do here. Peter has to make a decision of where it is he's going to put his focus, where it is that he's going to look, where it is that he's going to give his intentionality. And that matter of focus is something that we see taking place. Do we look at the storm? Do we look at the fear? Do we look at the image there that's around us of distraction? Or do we look through that image? And do we find on the other side of that image the Savior that we're looking at? Just like looking through that windshield soaked with rain to see that light that was giving me guidance. The same thing is true here. This week as we've been talking about this, Bishop and I have been studying this and, and discussing back and forth some ideas for the sermon, as we do every week. And we decided that one of the things that was really important was to really get a good picture of what this would have been from the perspective of Peter. What this would have been like from the perspective of Peter. Because you and I read the story, we read the story from, a, from an American standpoint, from a modern standpoint, we read it from an intellectually uh, advanced standpoint. You know, to us it's a matter of Jesus here is defying physics. Jesus here is defying gravity. Jesus here is defying the laws of nature. We don't have to know a whole lot to know that you don't walk on water. What we see is this is Jesus exerting power over the physical world, which he absolutely was. But can I suggest to you that after researching it this week and talking a lot about it, I think the biggest thing that, that Peter was seeing wasn't a power over the physical world, but really was power over something much more symbolic than that. Bishop, as we were talking along, he said, you know, this is like Jim Chin's watermelon. And of course, like all dads, I went, what are you talking about? How is this like Jim Chin's watermelon? 
And he said, I've told you the story of Jim Chin's watermelon. And I said, you probably did. I probably wasn't paying attention. But he said, the story of Jim Chin's watermelon is this. He said, when he was, uh, when he was a, an intern at the Antioch Church down south, he had a good friend that he met there who was recently moved from China, and his name was Jim. Jim Chin was his name. And Bishop and Jim got to be good friends. And Bishop and Jim, on one particular Sunday, were invited by an older couple from church to enjoy Sunday lunch with him. And so Jim and Bishop arrived at this older couple's house, and the meal was a few minutes from being ready. And so the gentleman started cutting up a watermelon and brought out cuts of watermelon to Bishop and Jim. And Jim was beside himself, just effusive in gratitude. This is amazing. I can't believe it. What, what a wonderful watermelon. This is just a great thing. And Bishop was just embarrassed, like, dude, it's a watermelon, you know, come on, chill. And, um, and, and so the, the host was finally like, Jim, what's the deal with the watermelon? And, and Jim said that in his country... That was such a rare luxury that the display of hospitality was just overwhelming. To which the gentleman said, we're in the South. We got watermelons on every corner, so it's not a big deal for us here. What Jim saw in that moment was different than what Bishop saw in that moment because their cultures were different. What we see in this moment might be different from what Peter saw in this moment. So let me give you a real quick overview of what Peter might have seen in this moment. In this moment to Peter, um, you've got to remember that he's been brought up in the Jewish mindset, the Jewish culture, the Jewish system. You might remember a few weeks ago we talked about symbolisms. And one of the common symbolisms in the Old Testament is the symbol of water. The symbol of water. Water represents chaos, it represents evil, it represents opposition to God, it represents danger, it represents trouble, it, all kinds of terrible things uh, is represented by water. And so we put ourselves back in that boat, in the, mid that, in the midst of that storm, and we're watching Jesus walking across the surface of water. And it's not only the amazing, uh, uh, ridiculously amazing feat that he's walking on water, but the symbolism of this. Because Peter would have remembered very well in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, the very first introduction that we really have to God is this. Now the earth was without shape, it was uh, an empty. Darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. The very introduction of God is the very scene that Peter is seeing from the side of his fishing boat. He knows that God came to bring order to the uncontrollable. Because from a small child, he would have been raised knowing the story of Job. And in Job chapter 38, God said, Who shut up the sea with its doors when it burst forth, coming out of the womb? When I made the storm clouds its garment, and its thick darkness its swaddling clothes, I prescribed its limits, and I set in place its bolts and doors. I said, To here you may come, and no further. Here, your proud waves will be confined. Peter knew that God was here to, to calm that was, which was in disorder. Genesis 1.31, he looked at all that he had made, and God said, this is very good. This is orderly. This isn't chaos. This is good. And Jesus here is fulfilling all of those symbolic pictures of the Old Testament. And in doing, doing so in a way that empowers us. Because not only is it simply that Jesus is doing all these miraculous things, but he says to Peter, come. 
You come walk with me. Very similar to the way in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the cattle and earth and all the creatures that move on the earth. And God created humankind in his own image. Was Jesus walking on the water and defying gravity and nature and all those things? Absolutely. And would that have been an amazing thing to witness? No doubt whatsoever. But not only were all of those things certainly going through Peter's mind and the minds of the other apostles, but they were sitting there and watching the Son of God carry out in a very real way symbolic, prophetic things that they had been taught their entire life. So we have to see that there is much going on much going on in this storyline from Peter's perspective. I told you from the beginning that I'm going to use this really as a way to discuss storms of life. That opening story that I shared with you of that young mother in her early 30s who's dealing with a cancer diagnosis and three little kids at home and all the troubles that she's facing is in a storm of life. Peter, in his short walk across the water, was dealing with all the fear and distractions that comes in a storm of life. And we are all going to be facing storms of life. We're all going to be facing difficulties. We're all going to be facing challenges in our life. And what I want to do is take a moment and recognize that while this story talks about Peter and a walk on water, it's talking about you and me and the realities of the difficult moments that we find ourselves in life. And the first question I really want to ask you is, what do you do when you find yourself in a storm of life? What's the first thing you tend to do? Where do you tend to look for strength? Where do you look for answers? Where do you look for support? What is your first natural inclination? I can handle this. I'm going to do this myself. Maybe it's, I'm going to give it a good try. Oops, I can't get any progress on it. I'll turn it over to God now. Maybe some of us are honest enough to say, you know what, from the very outset, just like that young lady who was such a pillar of strength and a great example to me, I take it straight to God. What are you going to focus on in the storms of life? When you are stepping out of that boat and into that tumultuous water, do your eyes stay on Jesus or do your eyes turn to all the things around you? Because you can't focus on two things at once. Not very clearly. Not very well. Let's talk about the storm. When you talk about focusing on the storm, when you talk about my eyes go to the storm, Peter said, it said of Peter that he looked at the wind, he looked at the waves, he, he understood the gravity of his situation, and it took his eyes off of Christ, it took his, his heart away from his belief. This week I was looking at a reference tool that I find an interesting one, it's called the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. I know, it's a real blast around here, we have a lot of fun. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery is a really cool new resource that we just discovered, and, uh, and in it it's kind of a... It's a compendium of all these different images in the Bible and what they mean today. And so we were looking at storms. What is the image of storm? What does it mean? What's the symbolism that it brings? And this was from page 817 of that book. Storms provide many varied biblical images. The storm is a danger and a necessity. It gives life through water, but death through its violence. It's both a tool of judgment in the hand of God and an evil threat to God's people an agent of chaos against God's ordered world. 
Then he gets really deep. The storm in Scripture sometimes represents pagan deities, sometimes God's attendant, sometimes God's agent of judgment, sometimes God's enemies, sometimes suffering, sometimes uncreation, sometimes by the means of polemicism, which I had to figure out how to even say that word, and the Canaanite Baal myth. Sometimes it's even a picture of redemptive judgment. It just goes on and on and on. What does that merely mean? It means this. Here it is. Jeff Darby's simplest version of those three things a storm can mean. In the Bible, a storm can mean three things. One, a literal weather event that's scary. Two, a time that symbolically storm is used to talk about God carrying out judgment. Three, a time that Satan is using something symbolically to attack God's people. In this story, I think we have two of three very clearly portrayed. It was a literal storm. It really was a dangerous weather event. But it was an opportunity for Satan to work on the men in the boat. It was an opportunity for the men in the boat to be, to, to be tormented with, to be challenged with a question of belief. Do you really believe? Are you really feeling safe? Are you really feeling confident? Imagine what they would have been at this point. They've been all day long ministering to people. They're exhausted. They get in a boat. They're going across the shore. They get most of the way across the shore, and the wind kicks up against them. The waves are crashing over the boat. You've got the concern and the fear for the the nighttime and the exhaustion. Your, Your muscles are aching from the oars. Your hands are torn from the pulling of the ropes. There's all this straining and, and tension and, and, and terror in the in the in the in the, uh, the boat. There's just such there's just such a, um, a high point of, anim- uh, of, of every negative kind of emotion and feeling. And it's summed up in a word, fear. It's summed up in a word, fear. The very first thing that Peter had to overcome to get over the gunwale, to get over the edge of that boat and to step out on the water was his fear. And it was a fear that was based in reality. And that's one of the things that I think Satan uses against us, is that Satan uses really scary things to to cause us fear. He doesn't bring up stuff that's not real. He doesn't use unrealistic things. He uses real, fearful things that are right in front of us. This storm was real. This storm was scary. Their bodies were hurting. They were tired. All the things that we deal with are the things that Satan uses to bring a storm of life upon us and cause us to be hidden in our fear, to be locked down in our fear. Fear keeps us in the boat fear keeps us from asking for help fear keeps us from forgiving that person that we need to forgive Fear keeps us from sharing our burdens with our church family. Fear keeps us isolated. Fear keeps us from asking for counseling. Fear keeps us from going into treatment. Fear keeps us from pursuing healing. Fear keeps us from moving forward in life. Fear keeps us in the boat. And Satan is desperately using fear to keep you from stepping out in an act of faith. And you know what? It works. It is a good, good tool. By using fear, Satan can keep us in the boat. Peter demonstrated something very, very uncharacteristic. He demonstrated a faith that overcame his fear. A faith to step outside of the boat. In just a moment, when we conclude, I'm going to give you some very practical steps that I think we can see in his life that allowed him to take that step, and I think it's going to provide for some very practical ways for us to step out of that boat as well. But for right now, the thing I want us to focus on is that he had to overcome fear to step out of the boat and move 
towards Christ. So he does. He does step out of the boat, and he does move towards Christ. And we might think at that point that Satan would go, well, I lost that one. I, I, I didn't, I, he, he beat me. But he doesn't. You see, the second lesson in this is that as we continue to pursue Christ, we're going to continue to face Satan's distractions. Fear is what keeps us in the boat. Distractions are what try to put us back in the boat once we have stepped out. Distractions are where Satan continues to work on us. He's going to continue to give doubt. He's going to continue to put disbelief in our heart. He's going to continue to try to turn our focus from Jesus and onto the waves and onto the wind and onto the storm and to all the things that are going on around us. You see, just because we step out of the boat and begin to walk towards Jesus doesn't mean that Satan is defeated. In fact, he often then turns up the juice even higher. And that's distraction. That's distraction. The storm was raging the moment, or the storm was raging before Peter stepped out of the boat. And the storm kept raging. The question was, where would Peter's focus remain? At some point, and we don't know how far this walk was. In my own mind, I've, re- I've replayed this several times in my mind this week and thought about, you know, how, how far could this have been? Jesus couldn't have been too far from the boat because he was able to be heard. They talked back and forth, so it, it had to be relatively close. You've got wind and waves. You've got ambient noise, so it couldn't have been too far. It doesn't seem like Peter took that many steps before he started to look around and see the fear, to see the distractions, and to see the wind and waves. So we're probably talking about a very short time, a very short distance that he would have traveled. And yet within just a few short seconds, within just a few single steps, he lost his focus because he got distracted by the things that are around him. I don't know what that looked like to him. Maybe it was two or three steps in that he thought to himself, what am I doing? How, how am I here? This is impossible. This can't be happening. This is, this, is, this is insane. I'm walking on water. Maybe it was these wind and the waves were kicking up. Maybe it was getting stronger. I don't know what was happening in that moment, but this I do know. He got distracted. And distraction is something that's going to come for each and every one of us when we're stepping out on faith. Distraction is going to be something that we're going to deal with. Fear is going to keep us in the boat. If we do have enough courage to get out of the boat, the distraction is going to continue to be pursuing us. It's going to continue to be persistent around us. So let's look at some practical things in just a moment that we can do to overcome that fear and to persist through that distraction. What about Peter? One of the things that I think is interesting is what Peter forgot that he knew. I find it interesting that Peter forgot what he knew. And can I say to you that you forget what you know, and I forget what I know. It's attributed to Augustine, but everything's attributed to Augustine, so I don't know who really said it. But it's reported to be that Augustine said, it's not so much that we need to learn more about Scripture, but that we just simply need to live by what we already know. I'll just stop for a second. If you genuinely, sincerely applied everything you know to be true about Scripture to your life, would it be different tomorrow? If I literally took everything I know, if I never learned another thing about the Bible, but I really applied everything that I do know about Scripture, would my Monday be different this week? I, I contend it would. 
You see, the fact is we know a lot that we don't do. We know a lot that we don't practice. We know a lot that we don't put into action. We know a lot that we don't act upon. Peter knew a lot that he didn't didn't reflect on. In a moment when what Peter knew could have helped him greatly, he didn't. He didn't think about it. Peter grew up in synagogue. Peter grew up from the time he was a little bitty boy growing growing in the scriptures and learning the scriptures and and being inundated with the scriptures and learning the Bible. And, And he probably would have known these very verses. Psalm 89, verse 8, Who is like you, Lord? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 107, he would have known this. God stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Isaiah 4, 6, It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day, a refuge, a hiding place from the storm. Nahum 1, 7, God is good, a refuge in time of trouble. Isaiah 25, you are a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy, a shelter from the storm. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. I love this, listen. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at the swelling. I could go on, Lamentations 3, Isaiah 43, there's just a list of them on this page right here in front of me, I won't go through them all, but here's the point. Peter knew that his God was stronger than the storm. But in the moment, he forgot. Can I say to you that you know in your heart that God's bigger than your challenge? You know in your heart that God's bigger than whatever problem you're facing. You know in your heart that God's bigger than the storm of your life that you're in in the moment. But the reality is that in the moment, sometimes we forget what we know. Peter did too. Peter did too. Sometimes we forget what we know. So that's the first application today, the first lesson that I want us to take from this lesson. When you find yourself in storms of life, I want to really challenge you to go back and ask yourself the question, what do I already know? What do I already know to be true? That young lady who called me on the phone and I said, how are you doing so well? One of the first things she said was, scriptures that I had forgotten that I even knew had been coming to mind for me. What was she doing? She was remembering what she knew. When you find yourself in a storm of life, I really want to challenge you. I really want to ask you to think seriously. What do I already know about God? What do I already know about His faithfulness, His goodness, His power, His majesty? What do I already know about God and how can I apply it to this situation? And then I want to close with three Ps. Three Ps. If you're a note taker, I want you to write these three Ps down because I think they'll be helpful to you. And I stole these from my young friend. That young lady who is dealing with her storm of life in a way that is so beautiful and so powerful. And I stole these directly from her. Three Ps. Peter would have been wise to remember these three Ps. First, power. Second, provision. Third, promise. Power, provision, promise. This young lady told me that she gets out her journal and she writes on these three words. And she writes often about what she knows about the power of God. What had Peter seen about the power of God? 
What had Peter seen about Jesus? In these times that Jesus had been, Peter's been following Jesus, he's seen lame people restored uh, strength in their legs. He's seen blind people restored in their vision. He's, he's seen people who are deaf receive their hearing back. He's seen demons thrown out. He's seen healings. He's, he's seen amazing acts. He just got done seeing a little boy's lunch feeds thousands and thousands of people. Peter had every reason to believe in the power of Jesus. It was right there in front of him. But in the moment, sometimes we forget the power of the God we serve. Next time you're in a storm of life, I really challenge you to get out a piece of paper, right at the top of that piece of paper, power. And just start listing what you know about the power of God. And then ask yourself, does this sound like a God that's smaller than my problem? Is my problem bigger than this God? Because we serve a God of power. Number two, provision. And this one is just amazing to me. I don't know a lot about the sailing boats in those days, but um, I know that uh, they, they, from what I've read, they, they could sail or they could be rowed. Specifically in this story, because the wind was against them, we know that they were rowing. They would not have had their sails up. And when you look at the structure of these boats, the little low sit, uh, little benches that they would have sat in, and there's really nothing else in that boat. What did these 12 men get in the boat with? Who remembers? What did these 12 men get in the boat with? They each had one. What was it? They had just come from the feeding of the 5,000. And a little boy's lunch not only fed thousands and thousands of people, but it said there was so much left over that they took 12 baskets, which most people say probably went home with the 12 apostles. So here these men are sitting in a boat fighting a storm with a basket of food squeezed between their feet. The very symbol of God's provision in their life is literally right in front of them. The very symbol that is screaming from the bottom of the boat, God will provide. God will take care of you. Look, it's right here. The evidence is right in front of you. This young lady told me that she writes about all the ways that God has proven his faithfulness to her. He's proven his faithfulness. He's proven it in this situation. He proved it in this situation. He proved it in this moment. He proved it in this challenge. And it's just like a basket of bread sitting there in front of an apostle who's going, he's going to provide. Third and final promise. You've already got that piece of paper and it already says power and you've listed the ways that God is powerful. You've got that piece of paper and it says provision and you've listed the ways that God has intervened in your life and been faithful to you and you get another piece of paper out and you write promise at the top of it. And you just begin listing all the promises that you know God has said about you. What has God promised you? What's God promised you? You know, those promises can really be an amazing source of encouragement when the hard times come. They have been for me, and I know they have been for you. And for this young friend of mine, they're a great source of strength to her. Just think about what kind of powerful image that would be to sit there with your three pieces of paper before the problem that you have facing you. Right there in black and white, a representation of God's power, of God's provision, of God's promises. 
There's a promise that is my favorite. I've shared it in here before many times. I probably say this to myself three, four times a day. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I personalize it. Jeff, I'm never going to leave you. Jeff, I'm never going to forsake you. That's a promise I reflect on very often. And it gives me courage. It gives me strength. I'm never going to be alone. I'm never going to be forgotten. I'm never going to face the challenges of life by myself. Because God says I'm going to be there with you. You see, the beauty of that is that those promises come in the form of relationship. Jesus didn't come to this earth to create a list of rules and procedures and rituals. Jesus came to this earth to open door of relationship between God and man. To break down the barriers that keeps us from being in a relationship with God. And every single one of us that are in a relationship with God, a child of God, through Jesus Christ, given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have a beautiful relationship and that provision, those power, that power, those promises are for us. And that relationship with Him is possible for all. And that's really the beauty of this story. There are some universal truths in this story. You and I will have storms of life. But if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit within us, we have the means to gain His strength to face the challenges no matter how difficult they may be. To step out of our fear and onto the water. To persist in the direction of Christ unabated by the distractions around us. With our focus never wavering. Because we remember what we know. Because we remember the power of the God we serve. Because we reflect on the provision that He's always given us. And because we trust the promise that He's made. You know, that relationship that He made possible for us was commemorated right here a minute ago around this table as we remembered the death of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed to save me from my sins and you from your sins. And that blood continues to be universal. It continues to be the opportunity for each and every one of us today. And if you've never named Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never laid your sins at His feet, been washed in His blood, baptized in His name, then you don't know the joy that this wonderful relationship with God can offer you. Nothing would give us greater joy today than to introduce you to our friend Jesus and help you take the next step in your journey with Him. If we can do that or help you in any way, our leaders stand in the back of this room and we'd love to talk with you. Let's stand and sing as we're concluding.